Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you'd go ahead and turn to Philippians. So this is our third class in uh, the book. The first two we spent kind of reading through, looking for ideas and concepts and details about the author, the audience, the situation that either of them are in, and to, to start kind of building our own introduction to the book. So that was the first two weeks. Today what we're going to do is we're going to go through the book and, and we're going to identify what I'm calling items of note. And I'll give some details about what those are uh, in a minute. I'm going out of town tomorrow and I'll be out of town for two weeks. Um, I'll only miss one Sunday though. So um, next week, Drew is going to teach. And next week, it will be mostly a group activity where we'll split into probably three groups-ish. I'll let him determine that depending on how many people are here. And work on building summaries of the book. And so next week, you're going to kind of Take, take everything that you've done the last two weeks and this week together and start building, those, building your own kind of summary and discussing that with your group. And then Drew will uh, help the, the group to talk about that uh, together. Um, so when I say items of note, what I'm saying is, as you're reading through, um, what are things of interest that you can see? And to me, when I say things of interest, I mean things like if you see a word or a phrase that's repeated multiple times, probably good to take note of that. Jot down a note if you're using coloring pencils in your, uh, in your book or your Bible. Maybe color, color code all those. Um, or, or if you see opposites. So if you see a not this but that. Or some are like this, but I want you to be like that in this opposite or comparison. Those would be things you might uh, take note of and, and jot down because the author's trying to show you something when they're kind of building a device like that. Can you think of anything else that might in the, in the, in the book be an item of note or um, a way that you could uh, identify that the author is trying to point towards a topic? Yeah. Okay, so you can look at yeah things God does or how God works, what God wants. Um, you could also look for lists, for example. If the author has a a set of lists, um, that might be something you want to you know jot down and and understand why are they giving you a list of multiple things. Um, you could also look at structure. Um, if the book has uh, a structure that maybe maybe a given phrase is used multiple times throughout the book um, to highlight, hey, this is the next section or the next piece of that. Uh, you could you could look at that, and then just generally, I would say you can identify themes. So um, that would be as you're reading and you see uh, Paul takes note of one thing in every single chapter or every other verse maybe, you'd identify that as a theme uh, that, that you want to look for and potentially understand. So let's, let's look at an example. Turn to chapter 2. 
This is just a really short example. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What do you see in that that might fit into the items of note that we just talked about? Not this, but that. Yeah, not this, but that. It's a contrast. Um, and what, what's the contrast between, Alan? Between yourself and others. Yeah, between selfish ambition and uh, humility. Or between others and yourself. You know, those are kind of together. Great, so that's an example. Um, look at 2 verse 14. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14. Um, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What can you take note of in that verse? Julie? All right. Yeah, so, okay, so Crystal said there's a list, all right? So there's a list. Um, that's one way you could look at it. Um, there's another way to look at this list. I don't know if getting Yeah, so it's a, you could see it as a list. Maybe they're different things. But you could also see it as actually Paul saying the exact same thing over and over. You should be blameless. You should be innocent. You should be without blem- blemish. You should shine as lights in the world. I don't know that you could say that, like, how would you teach someone to do each of those individually? Those are kind of all the same concept. So it's, you could say, like, as you're taking note of things, that's a list, as Crystal said. Or you could say, as Julie, this isn't a repeated word or repeated phrase. It's like a repeated concept. Like, he's, he's really hammering an idea home by saying essentially the same thing, you know, four times in 18 words or something. So clearly, he wants us to to walk away with something. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through hopefully the whole book and identify items of note that you see. Um, I'll mention some that I see um, and uh, start building towards having a summary of what Paul was likely talking about next week. So let's start by reading uh, chapter 1 and 2. Again, this is a great time for you to have a pencil or a color pencil in hand or something and start writing down or highlighting some of these items of note that you see in what we're reading. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for, all, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right. I want to give you all a minute or two to kind of go back and, again, take a note of any items that you saw. Again, I'll remind you repeated words or opposites potentially. Compare and contrast. If you see a list, if you see something structural like the same word being used every couple of verses or phrases uh, or just generally themes that you see. So if you'll take uh, a minute and do that, we'll have some discussion. What did y'all take note of in chapter 1? Paul Paul wants to reiterate over and over again. He said, I want you to know. He says, some of the preach out of envy, others of goodwill. But he wants them to know that the situation that he is in is for the furtherance of the gospel. Okay. So, uh, the way I would phrase that is, Paul speaks about his situation 
And he wants to make clear to them that he essentially is okay. And he's okay because the gospel is being served as a result. And you'll see that in other chapters as well. That's great. What else? Karen? Yeah, so where do you see that, Karen? Um, verse 16, verse 18, uh, and in a different way, verse 14, speak the word, fearlessly. But also in verse 20, a different way of saying that is Christ being honored. Everything yeah. is to be honored with Christ. All right, so what Karen has taken note of is... I think first you could say Christ is just mentioned a lot. And then these different ways that Christ is referenced and how um, Paul and the Philippians proclaim him. I think there's another way that you can, uh, you can see a similar topic also in chapter 1 that would be complementary with Christ. What else, Joseph? Mara? Yeah. All right. So Mara recognized two items. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to kind of mention her second, which is he mentions things about his relationship with the Philippians uh, multiple times and uses really vivid descriptors to understand that relationship. And then Mara mentioned also that the concept of rejoice or joy are mentioned um, quite a few times. Uh, let's see, what, what can we find them? So when's the first time that Paul mentions rejoicing or joy? Verse 4. Verse four. Uh, yep. What's the next time? Yeah, verse 18 I think is next. Uh, and then I think there's another one. There may be two more. Verse 25. Yeah, verse 25. Um, I also um, looked at verse 6. So in verse, in verse 4, he says, um, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. And then he says, Because of your partnership until now, and then, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Um, I, I think... I think you can also relate the joy that he mentioned in his prayer, that, that that whole list of things that he kind of mentions there is actually like a sub-list of, I have joy in my prayer uh, because you're going to be perfected in the day, and so on and so forth. Joseph, Julie? Yes. Um, so, um, what was the first one you said? Um, well, first of all, uh, verse 2, grace and peace, that's from God. Yep. Um, then there's the verse 6. And so in verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. 
Uh, if you're using the net Bible, it says perfect. Does anybody have anything besides perfect or complete? This is one of the fun times in the English language where it's not perfect, it's perfect, so it has a different meaning, right? I don't, I don't know why that's true. Um, but that's the idea of he'll make you complete. Yeah. Um, what else did y'all see in chapter 1? The gospel is mentioned quite a few times. Where do you see that? There's at least two more. Yep. Yes. Uh, and then also verse 16, I think. Defense of the gospel? Yeah. So, um, and you are using, if I remember right, um, you're using the book, no version. Uh, there's one place where in ESV it says grace, and in the Net Bible it says gospel. I don't remember which. So some people may have more grace, some people may have more gospel. Perhaps those things are very related. That's why you should see that happening. Um, yeah, that's great. So we see the gospel mentioned a number of times. All right. So that so you guys have taken note of a bunch of great things. Um, there are some things that as we read on or study on, you'll realize that they're repeated. And so we can bring those up later as well, because maybe they're only mentioned one time in chapter one, but then they're mentioned again in chapter two and chapter three. So what I want to do now is, um, I'm not going to read. I'll let you read. Um, I want you to do the same thing for chapter two, um, items of note. Um, and again, you might want to, as you do that, may reflect back on chapter one at some point to say, oh, are there things that are mentioned in both? All right, so let's take, call it two and a half minutes and do that. All right. What did y'all notice in chapter two? I see a correlation from verse 23 when Paul basically says he wants to die. But it's easier for him to just go be with Christ, leaving all this imprisonment and suffering, but it's better for him to continue to be here to be an ambassador. And then he talks about the ambassadorship attitude of heart in chapter 2. Okay. How we need to relate each other. While we're still here, for the short time, we need to treat each other right and spread the gospel. All right. So what Chad is reflecting is from a theme that he's seeing. So in chapter 1, he's seeing a theme where Paul is willing to keep living, to forego going to see Christ now, in order that they would be served by him. And then in chapter 2, there is um, a pretty lengthy discussion of how Christ brings his own example in making that sort of sacrifice plain. And so you see that, uh, what I would say, the way I reflect that in my notes is in humility. That, that there's a lot of discussion about how Christ in his humility humbled himself and then that led to a sacrifice that he was able to make. But he couldn't make that sacrifice until he first 
humbled. Great. What else, Mara? Great. Yeah, so now we're connecting something from chapter 2 again back to chapter 1 where I've Morrissey's slave mentioned both times. That reflects their position um, in the world, but most importantly, their position to Christ. Great. What else? Alan? I noticed in chapter 1, verse 16, talks about not doing something out of selfish ambition. Read and he here compares Timothy in verse 21, uh, chapter 2, 22. Yeah. He talks about Timothy not being a person uh, who does not do it out of his own interest. Yeah, so. Um, I don't keep track of this in my notes, but one that you might keep track of is example. Um, throughout the book, um, Paul says, he uses Timothy as an example of someone without selfish ambition who's focused on Christ. Um, Paul also, at least two other times, maybe three other times, says, be like us or be like me. Um, and so you can look for that, those ideas of example through the book as well. That's great, Alan. What else? Crystal? He talks about what he wants from the group. He kind of introduces that in chapter 1, verse 9. No one will me. And then he excels in that in chapter 2 again. Verse 2 and 4. Yeah, so he introduces that he wants their love to abound more and more. I think he says in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he actually starts with this list. Um, so we said, we said, like, hey, take note of lists. So if there's any encouragement, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that's a list, right? What would you say about that list? He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Do you think Paul's concerned about whether or not there's encouragement in Christ? So what, what would we say that is? A rhetorical question? Yeah, it's a, these, this is a series of rhetorical questions. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort and love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, do what? Yeah, complete my joy by being of the same mind or the same love. And so... He gives us this list of essentially assured things. Or should be. <laughs> you, right. I mean, the only reason that they're not is because you haven't accessed them. They, they are available. They are assured that you can have access to things like comfort, participation in the Spirit, affection, sympathy. And now we see complete my joy again, referencing back to joy. Then he says, if, you're, if, if all these things are true, which we know they are, then you need to be of, of the same mind. But to complete my joy, you have to do that. He's reflecting that his joy in them is dependent on how they reflect um, their love for each other and if they're of one mind and one spirit. But I think also you can, you can say that verse 3 is actually a continuation of that statement. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I think he actually, that's like a definitional phrase when he says, um, be of the same mind, having the same love in accord, uh, in full accord and of one mind. Do all those things. And then he tells you how. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Put others ahead of yourself. That's what that means. You'll do if you have, that's how you'll know you're doing those things. Anything else that people took note of? Yeah, so essentially, um, if you look at verse 21, what you can see is, um, well, verse 22, we mentioned Timothy as an example of unselfishness, of serving others, and, and really provides an, the counterexample of that, or the opposite, is the way all these other people are acting. They seek only their own interests, have no concern for Christ. David Lee? There seems to be a theme Maybe it's an informal part of it, but the theme of just like longing to be together. Um, yeah. Where Paul specifically mentions, I just want to be with you. I'm praying for you and missing you. And then he, at the end of chapter 2, he's talking about the same thing with Timothy and Epaphroditus. just the encouragement of being together. And he's prioritizing that by, I want to send Timothy to you, but I don't know about that yet. So I'm going to send Epaphroditus to you because he misses you too. And yeah. So there's just kind of informal, just the encouragement that's derived of just being and the priority put on that. Yeah, so, so David Lee takes note of the multiple times where a relationship is referenced. We're given examples of that again with Timothy and Epaphroditus. They are examples of men who love these brethren and long to see them. You could also reflect that back to chapter 1 and verse 8. And I don't remember who mentioned it a minute ago. Where you talk about relationship. Where Paul says, I yearn for you. Um with the affection of Jesus Christ. So I'm tracking that in my notes under the topic of relationship. I have one verse eight, two verse 23, and two verse 25, and then some others that I'm not going to tell you yet because you've got to find those. I think there's one more that I'd like, I'd like to, to reflect on. Um, so Julie brought up um, one verse six that will bring it to completion and talking about that good work that was started in you. Um, I think you could also think about that when he says we'll bring it to completion and perfect you until the day of the Lord. If you, if you think just slightly differently about perfect and think about the word blameless, blameless shows up in 2 verse 15. That so that you may be blameless and pure. But actually it showed up in chapter 1 also. And so be pure and blameless in 1 verse 10. And 1 verse 27, let your manner be worthy of the gospel, which I think of as blameless. And then um, in 2 verse 12 and 13, um, what does it say that God will do for you? Uh, 
really verse 13. What did you say, Julie? Yes. So for it is God who works in you. So when it talks about 1 verse 6, that he is perfecting you until the day of the Lord, he works in you. And now we get a little bit more detail about what that perfection is. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is completing us. He is perfecting us. And the purpose or the end to which he's doing that is for his work and his good pleasure. All right, let's go on to uh, chapter 3 now. We'll do the same thing. Take about two minutes, two and a half minutes. Let you look through chapter 3 for items of note. Uh, Great to refer back to other things we've talked about um, if you see those. All right, just one or two more things down. What did y'all see? Crystal? Yeah, so in the first two chapters, he says, Don't be, com- or be confident in the Lord, be confident in the Lord. And now he kind of gives the examples of like how he um, could have been that way, but should not be. Alan? After that, it talks about, in the first part of the chapter, it talks about this flesh and confidence in the flesh. And then at the end of the chapter, it talks about your lovely body or your body and change to a glorious body. So you've got a contrast between now and the future. That's great. So see a comparison and a contrast between your present body, the problems with it, and the future body when you're glorified. Brian? Yeah. So in in verse three, verse two, a reference to these opponents. Um, the evildoers, calls them dogs. You could reflect that back to the end of chapter 2 as you're looking for a theme where he says, he tells some more about those opponents. And then also the end of chapter, midway through chapter 1 where he talks about the fact that they have dealt with the same struggles that he's dealing with. We noted that last week in our, in our call it like inferences that we could make because we learned that about both Paul and the Philippians, that they're both facing these opponents that, that Brian mentioned. Great. What else do y'all see? Julie? All right, so loss versus gain. Give us one example. So if look at verse 7. So whatever I gain... But whatever I, I gain, man, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He keeps going in verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he's, he's reflecting the difference between what he had. He gave up something. He gave up position. He gave up stature. He gave up power that he had. But he counts those things as being equivalent to dung, is what he says. Because what, he's, what he has gained is so much greater than what he had. And what he gained is Christ Jesus and the hope of salvation. Great. What else do you all see in chapter 3? Maybe because of that same recognition of what the value of what is gained, there's this language around striving to attain it. In chapter 1, there's an aspect of striving side by side on the gospel, but straining forward and pressing on. There's so much intensity with that. Yeah, so um, the concept of straining or striving, pressing forward to the goal. Um, and did he tell us what that goal is? What did you say? Yes, that I may know the resurrection of the dead. I think one first says the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Um, so that's what he's striving and straining towards is that that resurrection. Joshua, were you going to say something? Uh, I was going to point out in verse 17, Paul's not saying you don't have to do this. You're not going to have to stumble around in the dark. I'm an example of Christ doing things. There are other, there are other men who are doing things of Christ. So you can follow us and move forward. Yeah, so the concept that we mentioned a minute ago of example now flows into uh, 3 verse 17. He references himself as an example. I think you could also say that basically the first half of chapter 3 is like an anti-example. It's, it's, it's what you're not supposed to do. Because he had confidence in the flesh because of he was a Pharisee of Pharisee, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, had st studied at the feet of whoever, all that sort of stuff. So he gives that example of what confidence in the flesh looks like. But now he says, really join in imitating me in the example you have in us, but, but not of that fleshly example, but of ones who seek the Lord um, and forego the flesh. Um, anything else? Uh, one I'll just mention is I think in 3 verse 12 again, you see the concept of perfect. Perfect, perfect, I don't know, whichever it is. Um, so now again, he's saying he's um, not perfect, um, but Christ Jesus will make me his own or has made me his own. Um, he presses on to the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Julie? Yeah, so I love that. When he talks about the faithfulness that's counted to him as righteousness is not his faithfulness, but instead it's the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. The fact that Christ was faithful is the reason that we can be deemed, or Paul can be deemed faithful. And then that's the example he tells them to follow. All right, let's look at chapter 4. 
Hopefully you know exactly how to do this now. We'll take two minutes and um, take note of things again. Okay, what did y'all notice in chapter 4? Whole chapter, y'all didn't listen. Crystal? Yeah, so references how he prayed for them. And now in verse uh, 4, verse 6, the way that he is so content in prison is with that same concept of prayer. Um, and that they are, they can pray for him and he can pray for them. What else? I think we can build off of what Crystal just said. There's, a, there's quite a few things in that that talk about the relationship that they have in the first half of chapter 4. Where do you all see those? Well, the fact that you can call two people out on the carpet for not agreeing. Okay, so uh, that's the bad example of relationships. Um, he calls Yodia and Titiki out. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where his joy is. Yeah. And it's because of the way that he is being supported the way that hey, they've been faithful even more so without him there. Right. He's he's giving them encouragement. He's seeing that very strong relationship. Yeah, so beginning of verse four or chapter four, he talks about how he loves them, that they're his joy and his crown. Um, I'd really love to look at four verse fourteen. I think he tells us why they have such a strong relationship. What do you see there? They did well. And in verse 18, he has all he needs because of them. Yeah, in verse 14, he says that they shared in his trouble. And there's a couple references to that. The reason that they are so knitted together is they participated in the gospel together and they shared with each other through trouble, pain, um, and persecution. Um, I would encourage you to, uh, over the next week, fill out some more kind of ideas on these uh, items of note. They'll help you next week. Like I said, next week, Drew is going to help lead you guys through an exercise where we'll build some summaries. Everyone doesn't have to have the same summary of the book. Everyone doesn't have to, you know, think the book says the same thing. Um, and so it's good to hear what others have, have to say. Um, one thing I would also encourage you to do um, is to look at... Um, chapter 2 in that discussion because I think as you prep you might see that chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 are are kind of actually the center point of the book and tell you kind of what some summaries you could come up with. Thanks you all for your participation.